Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spotify is where millennials and Jay Z's are creating, curating, and experiencing culture. And now they're ready for a reset. Gen Z's can't wait to reconnect with their friends in real life. And millennials are still trying to manage work life balance at home. One thing they have in common? Audio is helping them navigate what's next. Audio, Audio music, podcast, ASMR, soundscape, playlists. Learn more about both generations in Culture Next, Spotify's annual trend report. If a majestic redwood grows in a California forest and there's nobody around, does it make a sound? What does cleaner air sound like? Or the sound of Californians coming together? Protecting our environment begins with a text. Join the movement of Californians saving energy at home, and together we can take on climate change. Text JOIN to 72222 to join the Keep It Golden movement. What's up, everybody? It's your boy B. Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles. I just want to thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. All right, thanks for tuning in to Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. However you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we greatly appreciate it. Joining us right now from NJ.com is Mike K, Eagles beat writer. Mike, thanks for jumping on talking football with us real quick. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, if you hear some whining in the background, it's not me, it's my baby. So, uh, you know. It's the quarantine, man. I understand. <laughs> Every time we're on this podcast, Tyler and Johnny have to tell my dogs to shut up. <laughs> wow from overseas johnny is like dictating what your animals are doing yeah. I, I, I right it's that. whole big family up in here at eagles brawl but anyways tyler start off let's start off the questions for mike uh yeah i wanted to uh hop right into the the juicy stuff um obviously mike our, our co-host connor kind of underwhelmed everything i mean this is superstar mike k who we have on the podcast right now so <laughs> you know let's let's talk facts oh, here sorry mike she's <laughs> she's underwhelming man um but obviously you know draft season is is always entertaining um you know there's so many different outlets there's so many different opinions on twitter rankings everybody has their own big boards um so when obviously the the Jalen Rager pick happened um it was should the eagles have moved up should they have traded back did they take him you know at 21 was that the right time um i kind of obviously i i have my opinion on jalen rager i kind of want to get what you've heard um from your talk around the league as far as the outlook on jalen rager and i guess how he fits with the eagles and where he was actually selected 
So first off, let me put the, put it this way. I spoke to a GM immediately after the pick and he compared him to Steve Smith. I don't agree with that comparison. I've seen it from a lot of folks. I had a scout tell us that uh, he compares a lot to Deshaun Jackson. Again, I don't see that comparison. Um, the guy that makes mo- the most sense to me, my actual comparison for him, and way before the draft was Santonio Holmes. I think the route running similar. I think his ability to be used on screens makes a lot of sense. Um, he's a better returner, obviously, than Santonio. I think he's going to be a lot stronger than Santonio, but just from a body type, from a height, weight, speed sort of connection, I think that's a logical comparison. That said, the people that I've talked to in the league, I spoke to an offensive coordinator in the NFC who told me straight up, he said they were, they were smart to take him where they were uh, because, frankly, they were going to be selected. He was going to be selected in the next five picks. Um, I know for a fact that the Minnesota Vikings were super interested in him. I know for a fact that the Saints had interest in him. I don't know if they would have selected him there, but for the Eagles had every reason to not trade back and select Jalen Rager where they did. They were very, very happy internally. Now, Justin Jefferson was a guy that a lot of people from the outside thought made a lot of sense. But what the Eagles did, if you pay attention to what they did in the draft, they targeted guys who can run nine routes and get open down the field. That was a very distinct thing. They want, you know, they want post routes. They want nine routes. They or go routes. You don't know what a nine route is. Uh, They want guys that can separate down the field. They already have guys who can take, oh, as my kid screams in the background. Uh, I think it's lunchtime. Um, you know, they have guys that can work underneath routes. Obviously, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard. They have guys who can, you know, I, I don't know if you could say J.J. single whiteside can has proven that he can win, you know, in the short to intermediate game, but he's capable of, of, of fitting in there. They drafted him to be the starting X receiver of the future. They're not just going to give up on him after one year. Uh, where he was put in, in my opinion, an extremely unfair situation as much as he is criticized, and, and rightfully so. Um, but I think for them, they wanted somebody who could be Deshaun Jackson insurance and then be Deshaun Jackson's heir apparent. Uh, I also think, you know, while some people don't necessarily view the slot as a premium position, Jalen Rager's going to play in the slot quite a bit. Uh, he almost has to, given their personnel. And I think when you, from, from, talking to a general manager in the league, he said, you might not see it initially on tape, but Raker has a lot of toughness. And that was something that I feel like the Eagles wide receiver group was somewhat lacking last year. Not that guys didn't play hurt or, 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 or try to make things work. They just didn't have guys with a dynamic like mentality of, you know what, I'm going to will myself through. And I think when you look at what Greg Ward was able to do, you look at, how they feel about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I think there's some still some cautious optimism there. And then you look at the potential of, of Alshon Jeffrey not being around. Rager's a guy who, if you feel like he can get off press, he's going to be an extremely good complement to Deshaun Jackson, who will again be their number one option in the passing game at, at the wide receiver position. See, I was going to ask about the wide receivers, and Mike, what you managed to do is answer both of my questions before I ask them. So I was going to ask you about JJ Thigarat, so whether you think he will play X next year, because I've been quite down on JJ, but I said when I wrote about him that I still think he's got a good shot this year, because I simply think he's the only player who basically profiles as an X receiver in this offense. So I don't think they're going to throw Jalen Rager out there at day one at X. 
Alshon's not going to be there. You answered that question. And the second question I was going to ask you, if you'd already answered that one, was about playing Jaden uh, Rager in the slots. Uh, and you sort of answered that as well. I guess my question is, um, the Eagles do still play a lot of one-two personnel, and I don't think that's going to go away. I think we will see a lot of one-two personnel this year. Um, do you think Rager and Deshaun Jackson can sort of play, I guess, together on an offense? Or do you think that, let's say, hypothetically, Deshaun Jackson plays uh, 16 games, which is probably unlikely, but it would be uh, brilliant. If you think Rager was, to, if you think, sorry, Deshaun Jackson was to stay healthy all year, do you think maybe we might be expecting too much from Rager because you think actually Deshaun will still be their go-to guy because he's still going to be uh, better getting down the field in that sense? So this is just a guess, but I think when they use Deshaun and Rager on the same field, I think they'll line up on the same side, if that makes sense. Like they're yeah. going to lean heavy on that side, maybe do an inside post. I think you're going to see a lot of dagger routes uh, from them uh, and dagger concepts. Um, I think what they want to do is they don't want to rush Rager. I think that's been the MO for them and their rookies throughout Doug Peterson's existence here outside of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a bit of an extreme example. Isaac Sayamalu was in and out of the lineup as a rookie. You can say what you want about Big V starting. They were kind of put in a rough spot because Lane Johnson was suspended. But for the most part, uh, you know, they're a team that wants to take its time. It's the same reason why I don't think Jalen Hurts is immediately going to be some gadget guy right off the bat because they're not having, you know, I'll, I'll probably, you guys are probably going to ask about that later, but like, there's not a physical off-season program for this team right now, right? So you're stuck in this situation where even if they had hopes of maybe Rager being a day one starter, the similar to how Deshaun Jackson was coming out in 2008, uh, I don't know if you can do that realistically when you don't know how long training camp's going to be. Training camp could be shortened. You, I mean, at least from an on-field standpoint, they still have to figure out how they're going to socially distance, how they're going to regulate health. And so I think what we're looking at is a lot of unknown. That's why I think Deshaun Jackson needs to start probably 13, play 13 games this season for them to get the type of productivity they want out of that position. And sorry, I'm, I'm rambling, but does that answer your question? Is that... yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's pretty much what I was after. Um, I'm sort of of the opinion that Rager is a very good player, but I think some people are probably expecting too much. I mean, if you're a fantasy guy, for example, I know this is not a fantasy podcast, but Deshaun Jackson is going incredibly late. I mean, in, in drafts, you can get Deshaun Jackson, like, for nothing, when I think there's a very good chance he's the Eagles' number one wide receiver this year. Johnny, yeah. do you know that Jalen Rager has an average drafted position of higher than Deshaun Jackson? In yeah, that's right what I mean. Yeah, it that's is not, I know. Yeah. That's a nice. very big mistake. Yeah. Uh, right. Mike, you kind of made me think of my own question real quick, just to piggyback off the Rager part, though. Uh, when I had you on my previous podcast, you, you hit on Aaron Moorhead perfectly that I thought you gave way a better, way better outlook on uh, his prospects of wide receiver coach. Now, considering the fact that Aaron Moorhead knows Monte Rager from times of the Colts, we're assuming, I'm just hypothetically speaking, uh, there's a connection already there, obviously, with Jalen's dad playing for the Eagles, too, in 2007. Do you think this transition is a little bit easier, though, even given the pandemic for him, at least, because he has some kind of familiarity with Philadelphia? Uh, I mean, not really. We asked him all, when he was drafted what type of memories he had of his dad playing. I think he was like six or seven, and he was very general with that. Um, what I do think helps is that he's going to have a um, support system that understands how Philly reacts to things. This is a mental game in Philadelphia, more so than maybe anywhere else in the NFL. 
you have to like if you it, I I was rewatching uh, the Amazon Prime series All or Nothing the other day, and it was week one, and Brandon Graham's just like, man, they really they really hammer us, don't you? But I bet you they'll be really excited when I mean you're going to hear them, you know, pump it up once we get back on here. That took years for Brandon Graham to establish that sort of mentality. Remember when he was first here with Vinnie Curry and they would block literally anyone who said anything? Um, I, I think you have to allocate your resources, especially from the personal side, into figuring out this place as well as adapting to the game itself. This can be a very, this this city can wear on you as a player, and I think him having the support system that he has, especially a former player dad and, and a guy who's worked in the NFL and who understands all these situations. And remember, Monte didn't Monte retired like 10, 12 years ago. He's still somewhat aware of the game. This isn't a guy who retired in like the mid nineties and, and doesn't understand or, or can articulate what's going on in a current locker room. So I think from that standpoint, it helps him Aaron Moorhead. So let's talk about him a little bit. He is really, really well liked by his uh, by the guys that he's coached in college. They all praise him. He's a guy who believes in teaching every single position on the field at wide receiver because that's what he did. I mean, if you, if you want to read a, a really good piece about Aaron Moorhead, you know, not to give myself any pub, uh, I wrote about his background and, and how he um, kind of established himself as a coach going from a player on the Colts where he was basically the Hank Basket of that team. Um, or I guess you could call him the Greg Ward of that team where he was basically just the fourth, the fourth wide receiver. And he had to back up Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, and um, uh, Brandon Stokely. He's just a very well-educated guy. He's not one of the, you know, a lot of people talk about if you can't do it, you know, those who can't do teach. Um, he wasn't an elite wide receiver. He wasn't a big deal guy, but he was a guy who stood out on special teams, had had good size, learned every position. Clyde Christensen, his former wide receivers coach, who's now the quarterback's coach for Tom Brady in, in Tampa, told me that, you know, Aaron was a guy who just knew everything and he studied his his teammates. I mean, who better to study than Reggie Wayne and, and Marvin Harrison? Um, you know, you look at the college talent that he put out in the NFL, Christian Kirk, um, uh, you know, Collegial Lipscomb just got signed. Um, some of the kids from, uh, so he was at Vanderbilt, Texas A&M. Texas A&M had some guys go. Josh Reynolds, uh, I think. Yeah, Josh Reynolds was one of his, one of his first, yeah. actually. Uh, that Courtney so, Davis guy, too. I liked I liked him coming out. He, I don't think he's found with the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, Courtney Davis, who a lot of people thought was going to be a third-round pick. He ended up going, I think, undrafted, right? So, um but I talked to Kalija Lipscomb, who was with him at Vanderbilt, and he just told him, like, before he got there, he played one side. He didn't even play a position. He played one side. And so when, uh, you know, when when Aaron came in, he taught him X, Y slot, um, taught him how to block. Like, he's a guy who's really going to preach fundamentals, and he's a guy who can relate to players. He was in the league for five years. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He can walk in there and say, look, I was here. He made some incredible catches in that run towards that Super Bowl uh, with the Colts. So I think he's a guy who's been there, done that, knows how to relate to not only NFL players, but he knows how to relate to college players. And that's very important when you consider the fact that they're bringing in John Hightower, uh, Quez Watkins, and and uh, Jalen Rager all at once. Those are all college kids. They're still college kids. You have to be able to relate and articulate facts to them. 
They're not like CFL wide receivers who didn't make it in the NFL and, you know, they just came in and they're getting a tryout similar to the guys that Carson Walsh was used to talking to, if you know what I mean. Now, and really quick, I have a question uh, regarding the immediate trust uh, because you mentioned Doug Peterson has been kind of hesitant on relying on rookies in their rookie year. Now we did see just last year with Miles Sanders, and I was a little bit surprised with how much trust they had in him. I mean, it almost they kind of had to due to, due to uh, Howard's injuries. But I do think Rager, and you were talking about mentality. I think Rager does have kind of that dog mentality, which is needed, um, which is huge in Philly. Um, and then secondly, like I said. You know, with Doug seeing that success that Sanders had, I, and do you think that it would kind of dictate him to to kind of put more trust in Rager because they used a high pick on him and they did have success last year with Sanders? Yeah, I think I think that's a really valid point, but to what extent, right? So if you're if you're starting Deshaun Jackson at the Z receiver position, which is where you're going to start him, and you like Greg Ward, or you like. Um, uh, Marquise Goodwin in the slot, you're not going to put Rager at an X. So what are you doing? You're probably rotating Rager with Deshaun. You're rotating him with Goodwin and, and, and Ward, or you're starting him in the slot. Now, what I think is going to happen is Rager might start in the slot, Deshaun at Z and then JJ at X to start the season. Now that works because Deshaun Jackson can play in the slot. You saw a little bit of that against the Redskins. You're going to see a lot of that this season. And I think the idea of making them interchangeable is a really good idea, especially if you want to get them playing time. Now here's the thing that I like. When they go into hurry up, Carson Wentz is fantastic. Here's what's scary about hurry up with Deshaun Jackson and Jalen Rager is while a lot of people think that, you know, Deshaun's just an, a Z receiver, uh-uh. If you're going to be able to move him in the slot and move him around, move both those guys around, you're not going to be able to dictate your matchups correctly if you're keeping guys on the field. Now, let's say they roll with 12 personnel. You can then move Zach Ertz outside. He can be your X, and you can move one of them into the slot. Or you can move Dallas Goddard into the slot have Ertz, you know, decoy block, and then have both those guys on the outside. So you have all these opportunities, and that's what I think they want. Maybe I'm thinking a little too artistically here, but from Doug Peterson's perspective, the more you can move guys around, especially in a hurry-up or, or to start a game when you can, you know, choreograph your first 10 to 12 plays, like, that's really helpful, from a creativity standpoint, especially when you have a guy who can come out of the backfield, like you mentioned in Miles Sanders, who can get downfield as well. Like the matchups are going to be really hard to dictate from a defensive perspective. Like you're going to have to decide, do I want my slot? Do I want my nickel corner to cover Miles Sanders or cover Jalen Rager? Like you're, you're really at that point. Like you can't put a linebacker on one of the, like linebackers are going to be non-existent. So you're going to have the ability then to, run on these guys as well. Like from an aesthetic standpoint, if they really were that creative, the speed on this offense is completely different. Like if Quez Watkins or or John Hightower turn out to be anything like imagine that. And that's clearly what they want. They want a track team. Um, I think Goodwin initially I was pretty 
apprehensive to bringing him in. Then I reported about the pay cut. He's making nothing. Uh, he's not guaranteed to make the team. I think he will make the team. But, like, if Goodwin's on there, like, if you have all three of those guys and Ertz out there or all three guys and 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 uh, Goddard out there, like, you have your size mismatch underneath, but you've got speed going all the way down the field, and your safety help is not is going to be really hard to dictate. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a glad you're yeah. saying fuck the X, Y, and Z and just get speed and, and create space for this offense and let Ertz and Sanders eat underneath and make make them play too high rather than single high. This this the offense is so versatile. They they have so many different looks. It's right. gonna be I'm hard glad to, I mean it's gonna be hard to play cover three against this team, in in right. my opinion. I'm glad you're hitting on that too, because in years past, it's always been their best wide receiver on the field is their slot wide receiver, either Jordan Matthews or Nelson Aguilar, and you couldn't use them anywhere else on the field. And I think that hindered what Doug's creativity, what he wanted to do, because I, you could say what you want about Doug, but I do think he is a creative coach. I just think the personnel holds him back sometimes and what he can possibly do in downfield concepts. Uh, and then, like you said, Miles Sanders was their best vertical threat last year in that passing offense. Absolutely, I would say. So I'm excited. You can move these guys all around like you're talking about. I think Rager can play uh, in the slot just fine. And Deshaun, too, as well. As we saw when they brought him back, they even tried to move him way more into the slot. Coming back from that injury just obviously didn't work out. I'm excited. I'm so excited, the versatility. Because you, you, this year you can't say, hey, if one of these guys goes down, Nelson Aguilar has to run on the outside. Or if one of these guys goes down, Jordan Matthews has to run on the outside. Now you can say, okay, Jackson's down. We can put Goodwin in, and he can give us the same type of speed threat. And in 2017, we saw with Torrey Smith, I don't think he his impact wasn't really in the box score. So I, I, I love all the speed they added. I think it does so much what they can do on offense. Yeah, I mean, to your point, right, um, this is a team that it was almost a joke that the Miles Sanders was their deep threat. Like, it, it wasn't even, like, to their advantage that he was their best deep threat. And I think they saw that. They realized they can – they have speed at other positions. It's just the wide receiver position was stagnant. So, I mean, you guys know me. I'm pretty level-headed when it comes to any sort of criticism or praise. Like, I, I keep a pretty, you know, even keel – but I, I'm, I'm actually pretty pro what they did this year. Now, there's a lot of contingencies, right? You have to make sure that these young kids, two of these guys need to develop. Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think you're pro- it's probably going to be Hightower and it's probably going to be Rager. Hightower, to me, is the guy that they thought Matt Collins could be, um, at least from the wide receiver standpoint. Uh, you know, Tyler, I know you're big on wide receivers. Like, that's your, that's your go-to. But, like... From 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 your guys guys' perspective, I mean, this is probably the fastest group they've ever had, at least in this era. And you're looking at guys that you know, Quez Watkins is maybe Todd Pinkston, right? Like, and that, like, and he might not make the team. So, uh, I, I think from from your guys' standpoint as fans, it, it's a pretty exciting per, like perspective to have, knowing that you have all these guys that can move around and get downfield. Right, and uh, if Quez Watkins doesn't make the team, I think this is the year that these guys that don't make the team that get drafted make the practice squad, if anything. So now you're not in a situation where you're depending on Greg Ward, Robert Davis, and Deontay Burnett to give you some type of speed spark to your offense. So, But enough about the wide receivers. I just want to get into the Jalen Hurts pick already because like, we're all sitting here still wondering why the hell they did it, why they used a premium pick on a backup <laughs> quarterback position. Uh, like you said, you 
covered the team forever. You've known the team forever. Uh, I'm sure you're aware how much they invest in the backup quarterback position and how important it is to this team. But is there any way we can justify using pick 53 on Jalen Hurts? And what's like the best case scenario for his Philadelphia tenure? So if you're looking at – so obviously from my job standpoint is I've got to – you know, judge the pick, create analysis on the pick, but then I also have to understand why the pick was made, right? It can't just be, you know, this is a bad pick. Well, why is it a bad pick? From their perspective, why is it a good pick, right? So from what I was told during the senior bowl, Jalen Hurts met with Howie Roseman and they had a great conversation. Howie Roseman basically fell in love with him. Um, This is a guy that, remember, they view culture as a number one priority. They also view that backup quarterback position, like you said, higher than pretty much anybody in the league. You know, when you look at the, what they've invested in the backup quarterback position from Chase Daniel, who got like basically the most expensive backup quarterback job ever uh, lasted a year. They bring in Nick Foles for two years. He leads into the playoffs and through the playoffs has four playoff wins in two years. And then you look at Josh McCown, who's kind of the, I think he's more of the exception of the rule because he was making less than Nate Sudfeld on the restricted tender. Um, but he was a guy that could kind of teach Carson how to lead, at least from a, from a professional standpoint. I think he, he kind of, each one of those guys set a different standard, right? Chase Daniel taught him how to be a pro. Nick Foles was the competition slash, Hey, we're going to bring out the best in Carson. And I think it worked. And then Josh McCown was the guy that kind of taught him how to relate to everybody, how how the business works, in my opinion. Like, this is just an outside perspective. Um, when I look at Jalen Hurts, a couple of things. One, this is nothing about their concern about Carson Wentz immediately. Absolutely nothing. You knew that this coronavirus was going to affect the offseason at some point. Um, Jalen Hurts is not going to get a regular off season to learn on the field with uh, um, press Taylor with Rich Gangarello. This is going to be a long-term process. And as I brought up with Rager, this is a team that is very cautious with their rookies. They take time. They are patient. This is an opportunity for them. Now remember Carson Wentz signed a four year, $128 million extension. Guess what guys? It hasn't hit yet. It hasn't hit. It hasn't hit their cap space yet. Everybody talks about Jadavian Clowney and, and bringing in all these guys, and then they look at the cap space next year where it's projected they're going to be $50 million over the cap. Well, guess what? It's not just about the defensive end that you can't sign. It's also about how much you can spend next year. You're going to have to get rid of a ton of guys. Them drafting Jalen Hurts, who's going to be on a second-round contract for three years, is going to help them spend Elsewhere, everybody took that when when that was made as an excuse as, hey, they're going to go out and sign guys now that they don't have to pay for a backup quarterback for the next four years. Uh-uh. Carson Wentz's number is astronomical over the next three years. That means you're investing that cap space into the quarterback position, which means in order to have a solid backup, you're going to have to not spend. They looked at what happened last year with Clayton Thorson, who was an abject failure. I mean, like. I've covered Max Wittick in the pros. Clayton Thorson's the second worst. Actually, he might be the worst paid quarterback I've ever seen in a training camp outside of Max Wittick and maybe Stephen Morris. 
like when you fail that miserably, it's time to say to yourself, look, are we going to spend a fifth or sixth round pick on a quarterback again and him fail and we're just going to throw that asset away? Or are we going to spend a second round pick on a kid that, you know what, has pretty high upside? And here's the thing. If he gets into a game or two over the next four years and plays very well, we can either trade franchise and trade him for a, high, for a second round pick or a first round pick so we get our asset back. Or he leaves in free agency, signs a huge deal, and we get a third-round pick for him, and we've had a backup that's cheap for the last four years. So when you're looking at it from an economic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you like the guy in general. Obviously, Carson has his health issues. I don't think they're worried about that immediately. I don't think that was part of the pick. But when you're looking at like the long-term projection, if he keeps playing the way he's playing – and you're worried about an, and another big injury happens, you know you're protected. They they look at this guy, uh, Tyler, sorry, I, I just one more point. Uh, the thing with him is if he can, can develop, he's a guy who's used to being a backup and a good backup, right? Like there are backups who are like, oh, I just want to get on the field. And, oh, gee golly, man, I got to transfer. I got to get in this portal. No, he held the clipboard for a year to a kid that was younger than him. And and this is a guy that got a team to a national championship game and then got benched and took it like a champ. So I think he's got the mental makeup to handle Philadelphia. He's got the mental makeup to be the backup to Carson Wentz and be a good car, a backup to Carson Wentz. This isn't a guy who's going to ruffle feathers. He's going to come in. He's going to learn. He's going to get along with the locker room. He comes from a program that's pretty good. And you know what? He's a dynamic athlete. If you feel like the 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 league's moving towards a two point conversion league, excuse me, as opposed to extra points, who better to to put out there and not risk your starting quarterback on two point conversions? I mean, he could Tebow this thing up, uh, and and that's my outlook, and that's how you can kind of talk yourself into it. I don't love the pick, but I can understand where they're coming from. That was masterfully put, economics wise too, like. All of a sudden here, I was like, wow, you know, I mean, he's right. Like, <laughs> I'm the one who's wrong here. He got me with that. But, Mike, I mean, before Tyler go- hits on his point, the one last thing I want to bring up on Jalen Hurts is the thing that I keep going back to, and I like I liked the player coming out a lot, but the thing I kept going back to is I don't think he can run a West Coast offense. So if you go into, let's say he goes, uh, once goes down, uh, the offense stutters under Jalen Hurts like it did with Nick Foles 2017. Do you go straight RPOs with him? Like you did with Foles, you just you just roll it out there and see. Hopefully, you can get that same type of magic again. Well, I, I think that's why you have Nate Sudfeld, right? I, I mean, Nate Sudfeld's going to be the backup. Like, oh yeah, I, for this year for sure. But I'm, let's just let's just theoretically say down the road. Do you think that he can? You think that he can fit this offense? I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with what they do with Gangarello and and how good Press Taylor is long term. Because really, it's he's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. They're they're behind the curtain. We don't necessarily know what goes into it. You know, they've they've DiFilippo got a ton of credit, and not that it wasn't deserved. And he's a really good quarterback developer. But you don't know who necessarily is responsible because you have all those quarterback minds in the room. There's Doug Peterson. There's Frank Reich. There's John DiFilippo. There's Press Taylor. So that's four guys. Like, everybody has a hand in it. So it's not like you can really put your finger on it. You can say, hey, these guys do a, uh, all do a job, but nobody can point to who who's the guy that's increased Nick Foles, you know, completion percentage or how Carson Wentz has, has you know, basically ruined 
interceptions for opposing defensive backs. Like you can't, there's, it's hard. You know what I mean? It's, it takes a village. And I think for Jalen Hurts, they clearly like where he's at mentally. Uh, Lincoln Riley was on NFL.com a couple of weeks ago and just said like he made astronomical strides. I spoke to um, uh, uh, Jim Nagy from the senior bowl. And he was telling me, uh, people used to ask him, will Jalen Hurts, from when he was at Alabama, go to the Senior Bowl? He's like, yeah, maybe as a running back. So think about how much progress he made at Oklahoma, where he is now able to read a defense on the college level. Now they have to make sure that he can read a, a, a defense on the NFL level, which is astronomically harder, right? But he's going to get at least a year to do so. It's, again, why I don't see them putting him out there to risk injury or you know, risk a rookie moment or affect his confidence. Nick, Nate Sudfeld's been here for four years. You know, eventually, if you want to be a quarterback factory, the guy that you've invested four years into needs to be able to play behind him. And maybe it means that Nate Sudfeld's back next year and you can get him cheap as well. Like, I think you can't rush somebody that you're investing a lot into if you already have the starting quarterback in place which again justifies Jalen Hurts being a second round pick if you feel like he can long term be a guy who's a valuable asset to you. If you sit here here's the thing, you guys are thinking like short term, uh, hypothetically, right? Oh wow, all we can do is get a second round pick out of this guy. Well, why don't we just keep the second round pick that we ha- that they had? Well, because you're getting 4 years of cheap labor out of him. Like what are you ta- what are we talking about here, right? Like take your emotions out of it. Like that's what my, the job of a beat writer is, right? Is to objectively look at what's going on. Getting a second round pick and 4 years of cheap labor of a talented backup, like sign me up if I'm a GM in the NFL. That's a smart move. And, at least from and, that, that perspective. And going to that, I mean what you you touched on too, there's a few things. The progression standpoint, you know, he He's not going to be a guy that has not been a backup before. He's been okay in the, the backup position, so he's not going to be the the petty backup who's like, man, I want to start. You know, he's not going to cause the 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 media stir. And then, secondly, and you hit on it, and I, it's more of a question from the. You said that how he fell in love with him with a, a conversation, and so I'm wondering, was the pick more? Was the pick more? And I, I think you may have answered it, but I just want to double double down on it. So this is more of a pick on the team because Russell Wilson was brought up a couple times. Uh, you know, they were thinking about taking Russell Wilson, and and he was taken. So they fell in love with Hertz, and they said, you know what, fuck it, let's not risk it. Let's just take him in the second round. It's more that in his promising potential compared to them valuing the backup position with their their current starter and Carson Wentz. So I guess I kind of answered it myself, but they're more valuing the player rather than the position. Is Abs- what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans achieve their home financing goals. Whatever freedom means to you, Freedom Mortgage has custom loan options to meet your needs, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, MLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333. Licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing. Equal housing opportunity. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans achieve their home financing goals. Whatever freedom means to you, Freedom Mortgage has custom loan options to meet your needs, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. 
Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, MLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333. Licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing. Equal housing opportunity. There's no question about it. Like, I think all four of us would agree Logan Wilson, from a value perspective, probably would have been a better pick. I think we would all agree that Jeremy Chin would have been a better value pick for them. Um, and would have made Christian Fulton. Yeah, or Christian Fulton on the surface. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if I agree with Fulton, but um, just from the way Schwartz uses his corners. But what what I would say is, I mean, I I agree with you from a positional value standpoint. But like from from their perspective, if you fall in love, we as media and and we as fans of sports in general are always telling gen- GMs, Hey, if you love a guy, take him, take him where he's at. What's the difference here? Like, I'm not trying to defend Howie Roseman. I'm not trying to defend the pick, but from a logic standpoint, you can hate the pick. You, I still am not a big fan of the pick. I would give it, I gave it a D plus when it happened. I'd maybe give it a C minus now, but from their logic, just like the logic of the people that were upset that they didn't take Justin Jefferson over Jalen Rager because he was more polished. If you if you're chasing traits, which isn't necessarily always the best move, but if you know you need this type of guy, you better take that type of guy early so you can get him. Don't let this be a Danelle Pumphrey situation. So I think they learned from that. Um, do I think that Hertz would have been selected in the second round if they passed on him? No. Not at all. I think he would have been an early third-round pick. I will tell you, there were a lot of teams that really liked him. Um, but I don't know if he would have been a second-round pick. And that's, that's fine. But that's fine. But that's also yeah. fine. Like, you guys are all part of that Jalen Rager hive. Guess what? If he didn't go in the second round... Like, we don't know, right? We don't know that would have happened. And you would have been stoked about it if the Eagles traded up to 39 to pick them. Like, at some point, like, the draft, is it's not a crapshoot, because I, I hate when people say that, because there are extremely talented scouts who can identify talent. It drives me nuts as a guy who used to be a draft analyst. Like, it's not a crapshoot. It, it's really not. Like, if you're good at this job, there are certain teams that are very good at this. Um. Are you going to hit on everyone? Absolutely not, because there's injuries, there's attrition, there's, you know, personality stuff that pops up out of nowhere. Um, But, like, from their perspective, they wanted to draft people that loved football. Check. They wanted to draft somebody who was athletically gifted. Check. They wanted to draft somebody who would be a good fit in their locker room. Check. They wanted to draft somebody who would have high upside. Check. They wanted to draft people who were faster. Check. They wanted to manage their cap space. Check. Oh, and then they also wanted to have insurance for their most important position. Check. So that's seven checks. They're cashing all of those with this pick. I'm not going to lie. I just used word I, play right there. I don't, I don't know if you guys are following along, but the, that was I great. am following along. But <laughs> I will say, wow, because for someone that completely just – was like, wow, they drafted a back quarterback in the second round. This is stupid. Like, I'm mad, and I haven't really gotten over yet. That whole context you added to it has opened me up a little bit more. So I'm glad I heard that. 
I will say, from a guy who's like, I'm stubborn as hell. When I make an opinion up, I back it, and I give you my reasons why, and it's hard for me to really change my mind. But, wow, I mean, you really cannot argue with what Mike just said. Just quickly, Matt, just quickly, because I am someone who has been – I'm sort of like you. I hate criticizing moves for the sake of criticizing moves. It's boring. It's tedious. Um, I feel like I completely understand uh, where you're coming from. I feel like I completely understand why they made the pick. As you've said, you have your own opinion. I still like – I guess you still, because you said you still only give it a C. I still don't think it was a great pick, and I'm not really going to get into the huge reasons why. One thing that concerns me a little bit, and I'm wondering what you think of this, is – do you think there's, I don't want to say an obsession, but do you think there is something in the Eagles building that is sort of looked at what Lamar Jackson done last year and felt that this is the way the league is going? Is this the idea that now, because I find Wentz a really interesting quarterback because people that like Wentz isn't mobile, whereas Wentz is probably his best in second reaction plays. He's best outside of structure. Um, Russell Wilson is a similar example. Russell Wilson is a small bit. He's a pocket quarterback. He makes a lot of his plays outside of structure. I find the Ravens are quite a unique offense and I think the worry is is that there's going to be a lot of teams now looking at what Lamar Jackson did last year and saying why can't we do that and I guess my question for you is that for me personally I see Lamar Jackson as like a real freak I don't I think Jalen Hurts is a good athlete I think Lamar Jackson is on a completely different level to anyone we've possibly ever seen with the exception of Michael Vick in his prime so I guess it's a bit of a long-winded question here but do you think they are sort of too maybe focused on what Lamar Jackson did last year? Because I think where I would disagree and what Connor said earlier on is I don't see how Hurts fits in this current offense. So do you think that they're going to try and I, – I don't think you, can, you can't have two offenses at once. You can't have a separate offense for Wentz and then sort of he gets injured and put in something different for Hurts. But do you think the plan is to sort of take certain things that Lamar Jackson done well last year and inject that into their current offense to no, not totally overwrite it? But do you think basically the, the Lamar Jackson – um, success last year played a role in the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts in the second round. It might have. I, I think, like, just thinking through your question, I, I think when you look at what the Eagles want to do, they want to be able to do everything, right? So they bring in Scangarello, who's got Shanahan principles. They bring back Marty, who has worked with some mobile quarterbacks. And to me, what I think they want is they want a lot of different ideas, and they're a team that does a very good job of self-scouting and then also pro-scouting. So remember, they, they found the, the Philly special in, in in Chicago Bears tape, right? I think they want to they don't want to be limited by anything. And to, to that extent, maybe that's Lamar Jackson. To me, I just think they like the kid and I think they think that he can progress into a a really sharp quarterback. It, no, I mean, I'm sorry yeah. if that's like a cop out answer. No, but. that's good. That's good because I, I guess it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think the Eagles have been st- the Eagles have been stout on offense. I think it's pretty clear for most people that study the tape. There's a lot of similar concepts they run. There's a lot of they've tried to do the similar thing for the last couple of years. Um, I guess it's very diff- it's a very difficult answer. We won't know the answer at the end of the season, but they're obviously trying to be more expansive than they've been the past few years, and that means they're going to be running a lot of different styles of offense. But I guess the bread and butter will still be. Uh, we had a chat with um, Chip Wagon. I don't know if you ever read the blog. We had a chat with him a few weeks ago, and he was talking about sort of the spread system. And he basically sees Doug's system as a West Coast slash spread offense, however you want to define it. And it seems like they're trying to bring in 
uh, different concepts at once. And it's not really a it's not a question of this one. It's just my own ramble as well. But I guess it'd be interesting to see how the Eagles can build on that yet still have the structure in place. Because I think it's all very well saying we want to do everything, but you've got to actually do one thing really well first, and then you can build on that. So the answer to the question, as I'm thinking now, might be the idea that Jalen Hurts just doesn't do much this year. Which, even though I don't like the pick, that would mean you can build the platform this year, and then you might see them be even more expansive. Uh, the following year so that might make a bit more sense i'm sure fans will love it when their second round pick doesn't even get a few gadget plays but personally i'm not sure i see the appeal of one or two gadget plays a game i would much rather build this to be a long-term success over the next few years yeah so let me let me put, pose it to you this way would you rather see what jj or single whiteside did last year or would you rather see a finished product when he actually takes the field yeah you yeah, know what exactly. i'm saying like the yeah, quarterback yeah. position is not one that you're going to come in and just say uh Nice. Um, so it's just not a, a, a position where you're just going to be like, hey, guess what? We're just going to throw you out there. Like, imagine that. Like, so J.J. single whiteside as an example, they taught him the X receiver position. Everybody got injured in week two. And then suddenly this guy's playing in the slot. He's playing Z. Like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want uh, to to hurt anybody's confidence, one. Two, you don't really want to do something that he's not used to doing. Like, the reason why J.J. Arcega-Whiteside struggled, in my opinion, is they did nothing that he did at Stanford. Absolutely nothing. They did not – Tyler, can you back me up here? Because like, I, I felt like they were just kind of using him as any normal big receiver. Like, he won down the field because they gave him jump balls. Like, every yeah. every play he made was a jump ball catch. The uh, usage of, of, of Whiteside didn't make sense to me his rookie year. I mean, and obviously – you know, Johnny dropped his his film session on it. it. It it didn't make sense. I mean, even there were times down the stretch of the the season where I felt like he was even open or creating separation, and Wentz wasn't even looking his way. It was I just think, like I think part of that though is sort of what Mike said. I don't think he ever really did fit the offense. I don't even think if you go back to Alshon, I'm not sure Wentz Wentz is a really weird quarterback because I don't think Wentz is a jump ball quarterback. I think you've got to have something. No, yeah. that's my point. That's my point. So Wentz has never thrown it up to Alshon. Wentz is an incredibly tight window throw. Like Wentz is more likely you. I mean, I always remember the first ever game Wentz played against the Browns. That deep in he threw to Jordan Matthews, where yes. the window was absolutely. Wentz will make that throw nine times out of ten, but he won't throw it to the guy uh, out wide. There's something I think that's why Wentz likes his tight end so much. He likes the uh, in middle of the field. So for me personally, I guess I don't even think Alshon was a great fit for Wentz. Really, I think Alshon came alive more when Foles was the quarterback. So this is not. Not really a criticism of JJ Arcega Whiteside. You have when you evaluate players, you have to evaluate in this, this in the scheme they're in. I don't see a huge path to success personally for JJ, but part of that isn't actually about him. It's about what the Eagles do with their receivers, and that's why you said earlier on about the draft being a crapshoot. That's why the draft isn't a crapshoot because unfortunately GMs make bad decisions where they have their own idea of what they want a player to be, and then they take someone who can't do that role and try and fit him into a role that he's not suited for. And you see that all the time. That's probably that and injury are bigger reasons why players are busts. It's not just so-and-so wakes up one day and he can't run anymore. I think JJ has never been explosive. And if you expect him to be a downfield vertical element, he's never going to be that because he wasn't explosive at Stanford. As you said, he needs to be given jump balls. And I'm not sure the way Wentz and Doug run their offense or Wentz in particular. And I think that's probably right. That's why you don't see Wentz trust JJ a lot because he doesn't. he's not his type of receiver. Um, it's a bit of a random point there, but yeah, I think it's your point about you can't evaluate players outside of 
uh, structure. So I agree with your point on JJ, yet I would still say part of the evaluation on him looking forward has to be how he fits in the offense moving forward. Well, and that's and that's why I think you want to have somebody like Scangarello or somebody like Marty Mordingwick who can potentially give you other options and other insight into that. It's another reason that I've personally felt that Joe Douglas is a bit of a paper tiger. Uh, I mean, it's probably a controversial opinion to have, but when your main basis for evaluation is, hey, I know that guy with pro personnel and, uh, oh my gosh, that guy was productive uh, as your basis for college. It's, it's, there have been times where Joe Douglas, even if he doesn't have final say, it's abundantly clear that somebody that they wanted wasn't there and they went with plan C, right? Mm-hmm. Um for the sake of that. And that's what I liked about this draft is they didn't really press. You can talk about Jalen Hurts. That was not a press. That was a, hey, we really like this player. We're not going to let him fall. Um, Davian Taylor, again, that was a guy they probably could have had in the fourth round. They liked him. They went after him. Jack Driscoll was definitely not going to be taken in the fourth round. They liked him. Um, you know, so I Casey Tuhill, they didn't want to rely on undrafted free agency. I know for a fact that there were players that were selected in that seventh round that they really wanted as undrafted free agents, and they were selected right before, uh, they, I mean, before they could hit free agency. There were at least two guys in the bottom 20 that would have been undrafted free agents for the Eagles. It's just that it is what it is. Um, so they were looking at tight ends, like, pretty hard in that and Noah uh guy ended up being their guy so I mean again I, I think when you look at this draft it's a clear departure from what they did the year before and that's why I think they're in better shape because they have that outlook right this is a good team on paper they're not a great team they're a good team on paper and if their depth shows up they can be a great team I was going to ask you if you thought J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was a Joe Douglas pick, but you pretty much subliminally answered that for me real quick. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I want to hit on Jalen Hurts, because I I have these nightmares at night that I need to stop having nightmares about. Marty Morningwig, we all know what happened in Philadelphia when they brought in Michael Vick the first year and they did the Wildcat with him and McNabb, and it was awful. Drive killers. The last year with Joe Flacco, they kind of did the same thing with Lamar. Please tell me, Mike, that that's not something I have to – have nightmares about Saturday before the game. I don't think you're going to have to worry about it, at least early on in the season. I think that that's kind of putting Jalen in a position again to lose his confidence. You know, I don't know if you guys are wrestling fans, but when Shawn Michaels lost his smile, it was really sad. You don't want Jalen Hurts <laughs> to lose his smile. Um, no, I, I, I think like when you're looking at those type of gadget plays, I think the time to run those gadget plays are on like PATs and and uh, two-point conversions. Like, I think that's where the league's going to end up going. And maybe that's the foresight that they have. I just can't imagine. Like, Lincoln Riley was even like, he's not Taysom Hill. Like, you're just not. Like, Taysom Hill's thrown like 10 passes or nine passes in, in his career. Like, I just don't see that. At, at the end of the day, the, the team is best when Carson Wentz is on the field. So taking him off the fucking field is ridiculous. It should not happen. Comparing Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts is just not. And if it happens, I'm going to be fucking livid. Well, I mean, <laughs> right, but here's like the thing, right? So you eloquently put it, I, we could say, uh, 
why take your best player off? Make no mistake, outside of Jason Kelsey, Carson Wentz is their best player on offense. Um, and so you're you're taking Carson Wentz off the field or you're moving him out wide, a position that he really doesn't need to be playing. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's why I don't really buy all this stuff. Doug Peterson was adamant. He's a quarterback first. Well, great. If you see him as a quarterback first, let him be a quarterback. I was talking to uh, Dan Orlovsky, who I respect a lot. But he's like, well, if he doesn't get used in that role, you've wasted your second round pick. No, No. that's not true. That is not (laughs) accurate. That's the only time I disagree with Dan Orlovsky, like, in the last two years. Uh, I mean, I'm not as high on Carson Wentz as he is, but, like, I think he's a top seven quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But, like, what are you talking about? Like, there's absolutely no reason to take Carson Wentz off the field. Now, Carson Wentz has an injury, and you want to get creative because you don't think Nate Sudfeld can drive the ball down the field. That's a whole completely different issue. I would actually use it to keep Carson healthy, right? So if you have two-point conversions, you know that Carson's great at, at short yardage work. Well, why put him in that position when you know they're going to stack the box in a two-point conversion standpoint, right? Like, you need to get guys open. You also have to be able to protect your quarterback. And where I want to protect my quarterback is when I would have an extra point attempt. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's mm-hmm. where I want to do it. Um, and if I'm going to take my quarterback off the field, it better well be in a non-timed position. You know what I mean? An untimed right. position? Non-timed? Uh, whatever. I don't well, know. They both I'm work. completely on board with that. I just – Johnny knows the English better than I do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't believe they brought Morning Morning Week back. I thought I, that was an interesting move to bring him back. I'm not from the sense of he's – basically a consultant so like yourself when you're self-scouting so like johnny does these great breakdowns right they need somebody Mm -hmm. internally who can objectively do these breakdowns who has experience who knows the west coast offense who knows andy Reid's style of play calling which doug peterson implements who also has some experience a lot of experience in the nfl playing against and studying other offenses and i think he provides this kind of tutor on not only for Doug but for Press Taylor we have to look at the investment in Press Taylor here you guys like in like in the league he's highly viewed but this is clearly a guy that they want to make part of a coaching tree like they're taking dramatic steps here he's the passing game coordinator right and they're naming him as such so they're going to take their time with him. They, he's clearly not ready to be that offensive coordinator that they want him to be. But this guy is getting every opportunity to prove that he can be the next Wonderkin, the next Sean McVay, who, from a Twitter perspective, he's kind of taking a beating over the last, you know, from the Super Bowl onward. Um, so now guys that have shook his hand once aren't getting jobs. But look, long-term, Press Taylor, they want to develop into this guy. And look, when he was here with Chip Kelly, people were talking about, this kid's going to be something. Um, You know, to think, like, I turn 32 next week. He's my age. Like He he sat down with uh, Fran Duffy for NFL Network, and that that, uh, session was – he impressed the shit out of me. He's an impressive guy. He's a really impressive guy. Like, if you're in a room with this dude – like, you can tell when there's an assistant – like, if you've done it – like, not that I've done this for an extremely long time, but you know when you're talking to an assistant whether you're impressed or not. And I can right. tell you that there, in my experience, I've n- not been impressed by very many assistant coaches. And it's sh- – like, 
when the product's out on the field, you're like, eh, okay. Um, he's an impressive guy. Like, he's a guy that I think they're putting a lot of attention into. And when you talk about becoming a quarterback factory, well, he's your quarterback's coach and your passing game coordinator. That's kind of a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. If, if he, it, I mean, Tyler Roseman's trusting him with this asset and thinks that he can pull it off. If you look at the moves they made this offseason, here's what they tell you. The personnel was the problem with defense, 1,000%. That's why you only see one major move, and they've moved a guy who's never coached a defensive line to defensive lines coach. They clearly thought the personnel was not delivering. On the opposite side, it was clearly coaching. They got rid of their wide receivers coach, um, and they got rid of their offensive coordinator, and they basically moved up the guy who was under the offensive coordinator and then brought in a guy with playing experience as their wide receivers coach. They didn't really do much on offense. They drafted a bunch of kids. So they clearly believe in the coaching staff that remains. Right. I mean, like that's basically what happened. They didn't replace Ken Falagel at linebackers coach. Uh, Corey Unland left, you know, and they brought in a guy in Marquand Manuel who, you know, whatever, but they, they got rid of Philip Daniels after one year which is kind of a rarity for a guy who's a former player. I mean, Greg Lewis had his issues and and went somewhere else, and now he's great, and he's doing a really good job in Kansas City. But to me, when I look at it, I look at it as the offensive coaching staff in certain areas was failing miserably, and they had to make changes. But Press Taylor stuck around, and they clearly like him enough that they replaced a guy that Doug Peterson just came out and said, yeah, we're going to keep him, and they didn't. You know what I mean? Uh, big things for Press Taylor, though. I, I'm, I'm glad you hit on that and gave us some insight on that, too. But uh, I don't know if any of these other guys got anything else for you, but I got one more thing, and then... Yeah, whatever you guys got, it. I'm here for you. Well, that Boston Scott article he did with his relationship with his father was beautiful. I'm going to put that in the details of the podcast episode because a lot of people need to get a hold of that and read that real quick. But the thing about the Eagles that everybody saw on Eagles Twitter is, are they going to bring in a veteran running back? I think that's like the main focus now lately. I'm on the, the defense of you have Sanders and Scott and you have undrafted free agents. Let it rock and see who, who does well there, especially with considering the money right now. Uh, do you think that Boston Scott can just, after what he showed last year, can just go ahead and fill in that Darren Sproles type of role? Cause you already know that that role is important in Doug's offense. He wants somebody that can serve that purpose. Uh, do you have faith in Boston Scott that he can be that guy? And are you still are you one of the people that thinks they need to bring in a veteran back? I, I think it depends on how they view the rotation, right? If they're going to stick with the rotation, I do think they need to bring somebody in. If they're going to let Miles Sanders be a you know three hundred touch, not three hundred carries, but a three hundred touch player, no, I think Boston Scott's the ideal guy for. He's an ideal number two if you've got a guy who you think's a workhorse, and then you deal with the consequences if that guy goes down. I don't think he's a guy who should be starting games. Absolutely not. But if if he's if you're going to have a guy who is just going to tote the rock like 25 times a game, Boston Scott's the exact guy you want, especially from a temperament standpoint. He's a guy who's going to do anything that's asked of him. He's a guy who is a very big team player. And frankly, he killed the Giants last year. Killed them. I mean, the blocking was, in, was really well done. I think like the blocking doesn't get enough credit for that for those two games, but I think Boston Scott's a guy who does everything. Okay. 
right? And that's the type of guy you want as a number two. It's a Carell Buckhalter. Carell Buckhalter did nothing great. He did nothing really super good either. He was okay at everything. And that's what you need. He's a good, he's an okay blocker. He's an okay runner. He's an okay receiver. Um, if they can get something out of any of these undrafted kids, terrific. Corey Clements is still a question mark from an injury standpoint. If I'm bringing in somebody, I'm not bringing in LaShawn McCoy. I'm not bringing in Devontae Freeman. I'm bringing in Theo Riddick. One, he has a background with Scangarello. They signed him last year. He suffered a shoulder injury and didn't get to play. So, But he knows Scangarello's verbiage. He knows his offense. He's also the type of guy that would replace a guy like Darren Sproles. Uh, he's more Darren Sproles-esque than, than Boston Scott is. He's also had success against the Eagles. Um, and so he's a guy that I would look into. He's got a year of non-contact. I love Theo Riddick. I, I, I think he makes a ton of sense. He's also a guy. I love it. He's also a guy, if you lose Miles Sanders, guess what? You can have him run go routes down the field from out of the backfield. He's a guy who can block. He's a guy who's used to being used on third down. Um do I think they need a veteran running back? It just depends. I, I wouldn't sign anybody before training camp. I'll put it that way. I wouldn't sign anyone before training camp, regardless if it was LaShawn McCoy, Freeman, whoever. They also don't want to pay guys. The running back position is essentially the equivalent of the linebacker position, maybe a little bit higher in the pecking order um, from an investment standpoint. I just don't, I don't think it's necessary, especially when you know Miles Sanders can do everything, everything. He's a great receiver for, for a running back. He's turned in, into a very good blocker. Like, I mean, a very good blocker. And from a running standpoint, his vision got better throughout the season. Like you talked about how they started him almost essentially like to start the season. And he got, he wasn't ready for that. So as much as they learned from the success that he had, they also learned from the, the drawbacks that he had early on in his rookie year. So, the, you know, for me, you're not going to rush young guys onto the field. I like Mike Warren. He runs with rock, but he also, he's not a very fast guy. Adrian Killens, I just talked to his running backs coach from UCF. He said that his vision got better as the, as last year went on, but he's also a guy who's used to being part of a very, very heavy rotation. There were four running backs who did a ton of work out of the backfield at UCF last year. I think he's a practice squad guy. Um, Elijah Holyfield. Whew. That guy runs like there's magnets on the ground and he's got, you know, steel plated shoes. Uh, like he's look, I loved him in college, but like, if we're going to be realistic here, I don't know if he's your short yardage back. Things that people kind of forget is Miles Sanders and Boston Scott did pretty well in short yardage. Yeah. Uh, Corey Clement, if he doesn't take a really bad handoff from Carson Wentz in 2018, he probably doesn't have a terrible year last year. Um, like, yeah, injuries have been a factor, but how, how the hell can you forget two years ago, this kid lit up the league out of the backfield from a receiving standpoint. So I think there's a lot of what ifs back there. There is a lot of what ifs from what their standpoint is like, they know how they want to use them. We don't. Uh, but Miles Sanders to me, if they were going to make him a workhorse back, he's completely capable of doing it. They love this kid. Like I was at Penn state's pro day and Mike Rowe couldn't take his eyes off of him. Let me give you a fun story. I, I don't. It'll be really quick. So I'm at. I the, remember this because you, you and Matt or texted me from the pro day, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, Miles Sanders is it?" But yeah, go ahead. So Trace McSorley was the quarterback for Penn State. He had to throw right, like obviously at a pro day, but they didn't have any wide receivers who were really draft eligible, 
who could run the drills with him. And that's how you run a pro day. Like you can't have like, you can't be like, oh yeah, I'll take this random freshman and have him run routes. And that's not how it works. So they took some kids from like neighboring school, small schools, but they still didn't have enough. So McSorley called up Miles Sanders' agent and they arranged it so that Miles Sanders could run out of the slot. They targeted Miles several times. Deep goes, deep like posts, like he did everything. He ran slants, and I said, I turned to the person next to me. I go, this guy is going to be the best receiving running back in the league outside of uh, Christian McCaffrey. I don't know what he's going to do as a runner. He's This kid's going to be dynamic. My crow was like five feet away from me. Just, I don't know if he heard me, but he was shit. He, I mean, like, we were thinking the same thing. They loved this kid. He came in, and they had workouts with him, and then they had visits. He blew the entire organization away like you want to talk about everybody all in on a guy Miles Sanders is that guy that's probably why he started so early in the season is everyone likes him as a person as a player like as a teammate like this kid is it and they love him so would not be shocked if he is the guy who can break the curse of the uh, rotation in the Eagles backfield I think he I should do. I think he should I love, and I'm glad you brought the Christopher McCaffrey thing because uh I recorded with Tyler yesterday and that's the first thing I said was you can't take Christian McCaffrey off the field for the Panthers' offense because of his receiving threat and his rushing ability. Same thing for Sanders. You can't take him off because of those dual threat abilities. And you look at teams, you look at the Raiders who just drafted Josh Jacobs the round before him last year, and they go ahead in the next draft, and they, they go in the third round, and they get a receiving running back and Lynn Bodden Jr. to complement uh, Jacobs' ability because we obviously know he's not the receiving threat that Sanders is. The Eagles didn't have to worry about that at all. And they didn't, they didn't take Sanders in the first round. They took him in the second round. So – to me, I taking him off the field if it's not for Boston Scott is criminal. I, He's Le'Veon Bell light, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that a little bit. Uh, I got in trouble on a on a radio show a couple of days ago. I said, "Look, I don't think he's as talented, but I definitely see some LT when he runs." Yeah, you can definitely see it. Like it's it's clear as day, and when he blocks too, um, he really does glide. He, he glides, glides yeah, he runs, exactly. Man. Like he, yeah. he's a guy that doesn't waste movement. And so I think when you look, I, I didn't play the game at, at a high level. I got ran over in high school and decided basketball was for me. Look, just whatever. But from a draft analyst standpoint, I'm, I, I, I don't mean to sound like Colin Cowherd, but like I, I take a lot of pride in my running back evaluations. Like I was the person in Jack, the only person in Jacksonville that killed the Leonard Fournette pick. I called him Cadillac Williams. Like I, don't think Leonard Williams is a great pick in the top five. I didn't think he was a great pick in the top 20. Um, and frankly, his, his numbers are inflated by yardage at the end of, at, at the end of games. You're but, very right. He's very overrated. Yes. Yes. Um, it's the same reason why everybody's like, Oh, well they should totally trade for him. No, he doesn't fit their, their offense at all. He can't run out of, at a shotgun. Like it's just not a thing, um, which is something they've discovered under with Nick Foles like Nick Foles is the worst quarterback for him like you think Alshon Jeffrey has issues with Wentz from a on-field standpoint like running out of the shotgun with Nick Foles is not a smart move for Leonard <laughs> Fournette um but that's a story for another day I guess all right well I mean dang all that information and we actually sat here for an hour and just talked straight up Eagles I loved it because some of these questions weren't even on our rundown uh Tyler Johnny you got anything for Mike before we sign off Mike K said he had 30 minutes today. He's been on for an hour. This is what happens. If you yeah, I, I, I love it. This is what I love it. It's good talks. 
Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say the exact same thing. It was a twenty minute chat and we got an hour. So thank you. You had uh, seriously some well, stories there were exceptional. So thank you. I mean, I, I tend to ramble. So, but you know, uh, again, not at all, not at all. You know, it, uh, if you guys want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, I'm sure you guys will put that in the in the description or whatever, or you'll do whatever. But um, what I like about the three of you guys is, from a fan standpoint, you don't let good information and your eyes get in the get distracted from your brain, right? So. That's why I wanted to come on here. I think all three of you guys do terrific work. And as somebody who started off in the blogging community and and kind of built a career out of this, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And so I, I wanted to come on and just, uh, you know, tell you some stories. Like, that's what I do. I'm a storyteller. So, Thank uh, you. you know, Zero. Johnny, you're absolutely crushing it at my old place that I won't mention. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, say hi to Brandon for me. Um, but yeah, man, like keep doing what you're doing. I, I really enjoyed being on the podcast and talking to the three of you guys who I've known for a pretty long time. And yeah. Hey. We're gonna have to have you back on again for sure. But I mean, even an hour, I mean, I can't believe it. We've never made a guest stay on here this long. You just had to had to be that one. But uh great info though. What a great episode this is gonna be. It, just make a promise. If training camp happens, you got to get on during training camp. We 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 need one. Well, we need one like update day. Well, I don't know if I'll actually be at training camp. Like they might have me. Um, not to make another ref- wrestling reference, but they might have me in a steel cage above the above the. Uh, <laughs> like it might be like you know when right. you, like you, you ever see the movie Meg where like they're in like the 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 submarine. It's like a bubble. It's like that. But that might be what happens. I don't know. Like we don't know. Like I might be Jake Gyllenhaal out there just rolling through my bubble boy like thing like I, you know what the update might be like hey i'm still watching my kid while i'm writing like you know um but yeah no I, i'd be happy to come on again of course your perspective is always needed so remember to subscribe follow the show follow mike at mike underscore e underscore k k a y e on twitter nj.com he's where you can find all his work great articles and we'll be plugging in that boston scott and his relationship with his father article right in the description so you can go read it for yourself because it brought a tear to my eye. I thought that was a great piece, Mike. That was beautiful writing right there. Uh, we all need to make sure everybody reads that real quick. Again, uh, okay, guys, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back next week. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans use their homes for better living. Whether that be through refinancing your mortgage, accessing cash through your home's equity, or helping you purchase a new home, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333, licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing, equal housing opportunity. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your filtry air filters today at filtry.com. Let's clear the air. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.